Today's scripture reading is coming from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. For all who are able and willing, please stand for the reading of the word. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? So Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after he, you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before I um, begin the sermon today, which is titled A Perfect Example, I need to share with you that last Sunday I misspoke. Last Sunday, I attributed a statement that I made to a politician. The statement was that um, racism is not a sin. In reviewing the article that I uh, based that statement on, I realized that I misspoke. The politician did not state that racism is not a sin. Um, so I come to you today that I misspoke. Let's now prepare our hearts and minds for God's word. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart bless you today. For truly you are our source of strength and uh, you are our redeemer and you hold us fast. And for that, we give you thanks. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Who's your favorite role model? If you're married, do you have a role model that you look up to? As I've been doing these pastor's conversations, I've been blessed. 
to engage with couples who've been married for 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years, and to see how they relate to one another and engage with one another. I sometimes think to myself, if I knew of a couple that was about to be married, I would want you, older couple, to serve as a mentor, a role model for them. If you have children, um, who, who are your role models? It is so funny. When I was growing up many years ago, now this name you may not remember, but Dr. Spock, he was not a space um, alien. Um, he really was uh, a well-regarded um, expert when it came to raising children. He was the role model for a lot of parents. Um, when it comes to your spiritual formation, who, who do you look to? Someone who helps you to understand um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, I was blessed. I came from a Christian home, and, and my role models were my parents. Mm. They, they taught me by their examples the importance of prayer. They taught me by their example the importance of reading scripture. They taught me by their example the importance of saying, I love you, God, through my giving of my tithe, even as a teenager and young adult, and now as an adult. Who, who is your role model um, when it comes to uh, spiritual formation? On next Sunday, the 2020-2022 confirmation class of Evangel Heights United Methodist Church will begin. We have six students, and they will begin their spiritual journey and that journey will lead them to deciding whether or not they will confirm the vows that have been made on their behalf by their parents or if they will accept the vows that they have made for themselves at the time of their baptism. As you know, the confirmation process is a two-year process here at Evangel Heights. How thankful I am not only for these mentees and their parents, I'm also thankful for the six mentors who have agreed to be role models for them, demonstrating to them by word and example that discipleship is a journey. It's a lifelong journey. Once one confirms the vows that were made on his or her behalf or at the time of his baptism when he or she is able to speak for himself, Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, living out those vows, is a lifelong process. And, and that process is to be lived out, not in isolation, but within the community of faith. These mentors are making themselves available so that the mentees can see up close and personal what a disciple looks like. They will be looking to the mentees, mentors rather. They'll be looking to their parents. They'll be looking to you and to me and others to model before them. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Just as the mentors will serve as examples for the mentees, it's good for us to know that as a community of faith, we have a perfect role model, a perfect example, who helps us as a community of faith to know what it means to live as a community. 
the letter that was read in your hearing, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, is a letter that's written to a Christian community. It is not written to individuals. This Christian community has a long relationship with the Apostle Paul. And, and as you read the letter, you can see that there's joy in Paul's heart and in Paul's voice. This church at Philippi is the first community that Paul founded on European soil. If you were to read Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 13, you would hear of that specific encounter or read about that specific encounter. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter for several reasons. One, he wants to say thank you to the church at Philippi for the gifts that, that this community of faith sent to Paul to meet Paul's needs while he is in prison. How important it is to say thank you. How important it is to take the time to say thank you. To those who have blessed our lives, to those who have informed our lives, to those who have helped us to be better followers of Jesus Christ, to those who have helped this community of faith to be all that this community of faith is right now. How important it is to say thank you. He writes this letter also to encourage this community because of the persecution that this community is experiencing. And again, that persecution is mentioned in chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And then he wants to remind this community of who they are in Jesus Christ, who they are. In this letter, Paul reminds the church at Philippi that they are a community who follows Jesus Christ. And he reminds them, therefore, of how they are to live as a community who professes that Jesus Christ is their Lord, Jesus Christ, their perfect example. In this particular letter, Paul stresses unity and humility. Now, although Paul stresses unity and humility, there is no indication that within this community of faith, within this community that is following Jesus Christ, that there is disunity taking place. We are aware of the conflict, of course, between the two female leaders that's recorded in chapter 4 of this book. Euodia and Syntyche, we, we are mindful of their conflict, but that conflict has not created disunity within the church. You know, Paul lifts up unity and being of one mind as a goal for the congregation to remember. They're not pursuing it, they're living it. He's just reminding them of it. And I would suggest to you that we too need to be constantly reminded that we as a community of faith we are a community that reflects unity. Paul also reminds this church what we too need to be reminded of, and that is that our behavior is to be in alignment with our beliefs. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're to make sure that our behavior reflects the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Our words our attitudes, our thoughts are to reflect that. 
John Wesley, uh, the founder of Methodism, describes Christianity as a social religion. What we believe is revealed in the way we behave, and whatever we do is inevitably a proclamation to others of the gospel that we say we believe. Paul points to Jesus Christ as this example, the perfect example the one who we are to follow, Jesus Christ, fully divine, fully human, who because of total obedience to God, laid aside, as the scripture stated, emptied himself of his divinity to take on the form of humanity. He became a slave. He laid aside his self-interest to fulfill God's purpose for humankind. Humankind that through Adam's disobedience had become separated from God due to sin. And that sin entered into the world causing humankind to be separated. So Jesus emptied himself. And as a result of that, the question is that Paul wants to lift up, what is that attitude? What does it look like, this attitude? that would cause one to, as Becky said, not be so focused on yourself, your self-interest, your preferences, your priorities, your possessions, but be to be concerned about others. Oh, no, in the text when it says, think of others more than yourself, we're not talking about um, beating up on yourself or having a low self-esteem, no. What Paul is saying is lay aside your own self-interest for the sake of others, for the concerns of others. Be aware of what others' needs are. Assist others. We as a community known as Evangel Heights United Methodist Church are to be connected to, be concerned about, and committed to strengthening this body. We do that by the interest that we show in others, by the concerns that we demonstrate towards others, by the love that we reveal to others. We do this by the living out of our vows. In this particular text, Paul reminds the church at Philippi that they are to have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, which again is humility, as the word says, he did not think it, he did not think it was necessary to claim his divinity, no. Here's the key, he, he was so committed to the purpose of God for his life that that was his number one priority to fulfill God's purpose for his life. What, what is God's purpose for the life of Evangel Heights United Methodist Church? What is God's purpose? It's not a mystery. God's purpose for us is that we be the living example of Jesus Christ to one another and to the community at large that we demonstrate by our words, our behavior, our actions, that that we engage in, those who we talk to, that we represent Jesus Christ, who represents God. And by doing so, we model not only unity, but we model the attitude 
of Jesus Christ. In this text, Paul says, be sure to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's be very clear. This statement does not imply that we need to question our salvation, that our salvation is not complete. Those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we are saved. We don't have to work out anything. Our salvation is not based on works. It's based on God's free gift to us. So no, we don't have to do anything to guarantee our salvation. What God is saying to us is the work that has already begun in us, may we continue to carry out that work. May we continue to model the attitude and mind of Jesus Christ. May we continue to manifest the unity for the purpose of God's good pleasure. Bring to completion what has already been started as followers of Jesus Christ. And then there is this wonderful statement that brings me hope. And that statement is found in this text where he says, and at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I must confess to you that years ago, and maybe not so long ago, when I, when I read that, I thought, oh, good. That would prove it to those people who are acting a certain way. I may not be alone in those kinds of thoughts. I may be. But what this text says is people will come to the realization, not in anger, but in a sense of love, that Jesus Christ is Lord above all. Now, I will share with you, in order for that to be more fully realized, there is a role that we, as the community of faith, need to carry out. And that is, by our modeling that Jesus Christ is our Lord, we are to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. We're not called to keep our relationship with Jesus Christ to ourselves. We're called to share it with others so that they can declare for themselves, Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, when I think about this letter to the church at Philippi, my heart is filled with joy. Because this letter reminds us that we have the perfect example that we need in order for us to be the community of faith that we're called to be. We don't have to look to the left. We don't have to look to the right. Now, I'm dealing with directions, not political parties. We don't have to look anywhere else but to Jesus Christ in order for us to understand and to know how we are to live as his community of faith. And so join me as I continue to strive as a part of this community of faith to be faithful to this relationship that I have 
in Jesus Christ. For together, as a community of faith that's united, a community of faith that models humility, we will be able to make an impact and a difference in God's world here on earth. Let us pray. Loving and gracious Lord our God, how thankful we are for the perfect example that you've given to us in Jesus the Christ. One who denied his own self, one who denied his own will in order to fulfill your will for his life. May we as a community of faith continuing in a spirit of unity and with the attitude of Christ, continue to look to you to fulfill your purpose in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.